everybody. It's good to see all of you today. Don't worry, guys in the back. I got the table here. Okay. You know, the, the, the times are tough right now. Times are really tough. But it's good to see all of you. We're right in the middle of a series called Future Family, as you saw in the intro. And no matter where you are in your state of life, uh, you're a part of something you may not want to sign up for, but you are. You're a part of a family. And uh, we're doing this series because there's such a tremendous need in our society, even in our community, West Covina and the East San Gabriel Valley. Right now, families are in crisis. A lot of people are, are backing away from the idea of having a family or being a part of a family. Their, their, their idea is I'm just going to be single for my whole life and have a couple of friends but not be a part of a family because they've been so traumatized by all the things that have happened in their life. And the whole point of this series is to give us hope that things could be different. And so before we, we jumpstart into this part two of our, our series today, I want to encourage you to, to go to our website. And, uh, you know, you can tell people, even though we went through part one last week, you can you know, direct them to go back and listen to it. Or you may need to go back. If you've got a family member during the holidays and you want to share some of this with them, send them to our website. And also the discussion questions that you're going to have on the back of your newsletter are so important. Because that means during the week you're going to, you're going to really digest what we're talking about. You're going to take it another level. And you're going to interact with people in your small group about what we're talking about. So today, we're going to kind of jump back a little bit. Last week, we talked about this whole idea of real versus ideal. Real versus ideal. And for a lot of us, our real right now in our lives is pretty rough. We've been through a divorce. Maybe we're in our second marriage and it's not going well. Uh, maybe we're not married and, and, and we, we don't even want to think about it. Maybe, you know, we're, we're a child in a family where, where things are not good. They're not going good in the family. And that may be your real. But what we are looking at is there's an ideal. And Jesus came to help us with the ideal. And to raise the bar, Jesus even took it a notch higher. But in our culture today, in our society, what we've done with real, even though it's bad and it's hard and it's negative, guess what we've done with our real? We've made it normal. And when somebody's going through a tough time, they say, it's okay. Hey, really, it's okay. Because everybody is going through it. And so we normalize a dysfunctional situation. And we say, it's okay, it's normal. Everybody has it. Everybody's going through it. It's the new normal. You know, and in the same way, we live in a, in a culture, in a society that we give kids that play sports trophies. Everybody gets a trophy, right? Why do we do that? Why do we give every kid that participates in Little League or any sport, they get a trophy? Why is that? Because we don't want anybody to feel bad. If the champions get a trophy, then the guys that went 0 for 10, they get a trophy too. But it's not a trophy anymore. Because they didn't win anything. But we live in a culture that wants to make sure nobody feels bad. And that's not a good thing when it comes to family. Because when you're going through a bad situation and all someone can say to you is, it's okay, it's normal, it's what everybody is going through. You know better. 
right? And you may be going through that right now. You may be normalizing your situation. But there's a tension. There's a really strong tension because you know that something better is out there. And so your question, your, the tension for you is, do I stick with real and normalize it? Or do I shoot for ideal? And if you're a guest here with us today, you know, you've got the option. You've got an option. You've got the choice to think about real or ideal. But if you're a follower of Jesus, we don't have a choice. Jesus has already called us. He's saying, listen, I came to help you come back to the ideal. And that's why I'm here, is to help you reach the ideal. So if you're a follower of Jesus, we don't have the option to, to, to dumb down real. We've got to embrace the tension that comes along with the ideal. And no matter how many times you fail, we talked about this a lot last week, is you, know, you, you fail and you fail and you fail, but... You know, the, the, the reality is Jesus said, I'm not going to condemn you for failing. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to give you another chance and I'm going to give you a lot of new chances. As long as you'll keep on embracing the ideal. And because we live in this culture where no one wants to feel bad, there's something that happens with your children, parents of children, you know, we learn for ourselves to accept, well, this is my real. I failed and I failed again and, and my marriage and my family and my situation is not good. But then when you start to think about your children, then your mindset changes. Then you start to think about ideal because you don't want your kids to go what you've gone through, right? No parent wants their kids to go through a painful ordeal and a failed marriage or a failed family. Grandparents don't want their grandchildren to go through that either. So it's amazing how we change and then we start to gravitate towards ideal. Maybe real is good for us, but our, for our children, we want ideal. Because nobody wants their children to go through that. And so if we're going to follow Jesus, all of us need to go ahead and wrap our arms around ideal. And so that's what we talked about last week. And um, we talked about this, you know, as things that we have in common last week. And one of the things that, that we talked about last week, too, was this. Jesus came along and raised the ideal even higher to the point where all of us couldn't reach it. So it made it even clearer. What do we need together? Forgiveness. Right? Right? Nobody can do this on their own. We need a new start. And that's what He gives us. That's what He offers us. And we looked at this point. Jesus taught and pointed towards a North Star. He pointed towards an ideal. Yet, you know what? He didn't condemn those who didn't reach the ideal. And He models that for us. When we fall short of the ideal... Jesus doesn't condemn us. He's not going to point his finger and judge. He's going to say, listen, I know you failed, but I want you to get back up and come back over here towards the ideal and try again and do this again because there's more at stake than you realize. And then last week, uh, you know, we, we talked about 
you know, uh, the, the four things that we look at. And, and we're going to look at these things today again. But if you're visiting with us today, today you're going to get the free option to put into practice what we talk about. Okay? You don't have to. It's, it's an option for you. But for those of us who follow Jesus, He doesn't leave us any options. He's saying, I want you to do this for me so that the rest of the world can have the hope that things can reach ideal. Because how many great marriages do we need in our society? All that we can have. Every single one that's possible. And even for you young people, you say, well, this is a family thing. This is for mom and dad. No, this is your future. That's why we call it future family. It's, it's your future that's at stake. And so today we're going we're gonna to look at it. We're, all of us are ambassadors if we're following Jesus. So this is what we looked at last week. In summary, husbands, love your wives and be considerate. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. And fathers, don't irritate or exasperate your children. These are the four. This is the five, five point or five lesson series right here in this page. Now today we're going to look at the hardest one. Looking at this list. Which is the most politically incorrect, controversial, most complicated for women? Okay? In case you're wondering, there it is right there. Wives, submit to your husbands. You know, uh, recently in some talk shows, they bring this verse up. They bring this, this verse, how can the Bible be the Word of God if it puts this burden and puts this teaching on women? How is it that women are discriminated against? Right? How come they're singled out? And, and, and husbands, they just power up. And wives have to power down. Right? So we're going to look at this. And you know when I tell husbands that come to me and they say, Hey, look, this scripture says, Wives, my wife needs to submit to me, the husband. And I say, Hey, listen, who's the Bible talking to in that verse? Her or you? Now, there's another verse in verse 25 of Ephesians 5 that's talking to who? Husbands. So my suggestion for you, husband, is you better listen and focus in on what the Bible's saying to you, and she needs to listen to what the Bible's saying to her. Right? So I got your back, women. Okay? But interestingly enough, and we're going to look at this, this is a very, very difficult, but people don't understand this concept of submission and has a bad rep. But today you're going to see it is the secret to having a healthy and a happy family. All the way through, children, mom, dad, husband, and wife. Here's the verse. Ephesians 5.22 it says here, wives, submit to yourselves, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. This is the verse. Interesting. This is verse 22. Okay? We're looking at 22. You know what the verse before that verse is? Here we go. You ready? And, and, and Jesus, Jesus did a lot of teaching about love. 
A lot of general teaching about love. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? What else? What's the greatest command that Jesus gave? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what was the second command? And they will know you are my disciples if? You guys are really smart. You're really good. You know, but what does this, what does this mean? What does love, I mean, this general word, what does it require of me? What is it asking of me? You know, it seems to be a fuzzy term, a general term. What does that mean in a family? And so here it is. We're going to look at the verse. And, and in the context of the verse, I keep delaying it. In the context of the verse is, you know what decided who is in charge in a family? Might makes right. Who's the strongest one in your family? I can tell you who's the strongest one in my family. Okay? In that culture, first century, might makes right. In fact, whoever has the gold makes the rules. So guess who was making the rules during this time? The Romans and the people in power. And this is the way people thought. Whoever's in charge is the one with the most power or the most wealth. And they powered up. But Jesus came along and taught this. The people with power should use it to help who? The powerless. Jesus changed everything. He took the, the, right makes, the might makes right and he turned it on its head. He took the Roman principle, the Greek principle, the Egyptian principle and turned it right on its head. If you're in power, if you're given the authority, if you're given power to rule, then this is what you need to do. You need to use your authority to help the powerless. And so now we're going to look at the verse. Verse 21. Before the wife, look what it says here. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So who's in charge? Who, what's the over, overarching principle? What's the ethic for family? All of us need to submit to one another. So when, when, when Paul told women they need to submit, he was basically just kind of niching them in there. But guess who else needs to submit to one another? The husband needs to submit to his wife. The children need to submit to their, their parents, but also the parents need to do what? They need to submit to the children. Everybody's got to submit to each other if you're going to have a healthy family. You know what creates the problems in families? And we're going to talk about this more next week. Is when it's all about me. Instead of it being about you. And, you know, this is the overarching principle for family. Is this, this power word that we're going to look at. Mutual submission. It's not just the wives that need to submit to their husbands. Husbands need to submit to their wives. And everybody's got to submit to everybody else. Out of whom? Out of reverence for Christ. 
And that is, that's the, the, the power word of mutual submission. I'm going to look for ways to get up under your burdens for Christ's sake. I'm going to look for an opportunity where I can help you. If I'm an authority, if I'm in a position of power, I'm going to look for a way to help you up. And that's what was so powerful about Jesus' teaching. And it was revolutionary. Nobody, nobody taught this. It had never been introduced. And still is not a very widely practiced leadership principle in families and in corporations and everywhere. And it's my, it's my conviction, it's my opinion that this principle of leadership can work at every level. In a corporation, in a neighborhood, in a group of friends, in a family, in any organization, this principle works. And it works powerfully. It creates an environment in your organization, whether it's a family, whatever it is, it creates an environment of security and safety that you're in this for who? For me. And I'm in this for you. And we're thinking about the whole. We're thinking about everybody's benefit. And Jesus modeled this. Jesus modeled this perfectly in the Last Supper. It's a very famous scene. He's celebrating the Last Supper with His disciples. They're all gathered around. They're sitting around and they're about to eat the Passover meal. And right before, when they finish the meal, right before, this is what Jesus figured out. I don't know if it was a, 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 a you know, the Spirit came on Him and let Him know and He understood this, but He came to the realization, look what it says in verse 13, in verse 3 of chapter 13. Jesus knew that the Father put all things in under His power. And that He had come from God and He was returning to God. What did Jesus realize at this very moment after the Passover meal? I am the most powerful person in the creation. All authority has been given to me, the Son of God. To rule and to dictate what did He do that very next moment, the very next verse? What Jesus did, He removed His cloak. You can read about it in, in John 13. He removed His hour to cloak and then He put a towel around. Some, some, some scholars say He took off His shirt. And when you take off your shirt, you make yourself into a slave. That was, the, that was the, 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 the dress of a slave. They didn't have a shirt. They would walk around shirtless because it had to be clear who's who. So Jesus took off his cloak or his shirt and basically wrapped it around his waist, put a towel around his arm, and he began to wash his disciples' feet. One of the most humbling acts you can do for somebody. This is the Son of God. This is the one with all authority in heaven and on earth. He's in full power. What did he do when he realized he was the most powerful one in the room? He powered down. He powered down to serve. And then he goes on and he teaches this principle in verse 14. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, I'm the most important one. I'm the leader. Now that I have washed your feet, what? You should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. What was Jesus teaching here? 
mutual submission. And he was teaching them and telling them, when you become a rock star, you apostles, when you guys are up there and you've got hundreds of churches and tens of thousands of members and you guys are the most important ones and the gospel is going crazy and everybody looks to you and everybody looks to you and says, hey, you're in charge. You're the man in charge. You're the one that's in in power. What are you to do? You're to leverage your power for the good of the powerless. And you're to serve the people that you have authority over. So this principle is very, very powerful for us. Mutual submission means this. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. And it's the most powerful relational dynamic there is. There's nothing more powerful in a leadership, in a relational dynamic. When you, when you reach that point in a relationship where you say, I'm in this for you, and you're in this for me. Wow. You guys in the, in the team ministry, what if you had friends, what if you had friends that were in it for you? They'd be your best friend right away, right? But that's what makes great friendships. When you know they've got your back and they're thinking of you. And so I told you last week, I'm going to give you a question that you can ask over the holidays that could change everything in your family. And it will make a huge difference right away in your family. Are you ready for the question? The power question? You take this home and you do this this week. I guarantee, no, I don't guarantee, Jesus guarantees it will change everything in your family, family, no matter how bad it is. And the more you ask it, the more this becomes the culture. Are you ready for the question? Okay, here it is. What can I do to help? What can I do to help? How can I help? Let's just try it again together because you guys really aren't in it right now. I don't know what it is. It's the rain or the... Okay, I need, I need you to... Let's say it together. Are you ready? Okay, like you mean it. One, two, three. Again. One, two, three. Even you people online that are watching, I want you to say it. What can I do to help? Do you realize what this question will do in your family dynamic? Such a simple thing. But it's, it, it, it gives us a spirit, it, it, it transmits a spirit of, how can I serve you? How can I help you? Whatever you're going through. You know, and, and for kids, i, I got to tell you guys, okay? You're not kids, but you're children of parents. Okay, I need your full attention. I know you're taking good notes. You may be texting right now. I need you to just pay attention because this, this could, you could take over and rule your family. You could be in full power of your family if you do this. Okay? I know you don't want to because if you ask this question, you're, you're thinking, man, my whole day is going to be gone. I'm going to spend the whole day out in the yard pulling weeds, cleaning the house. 
But you ask this question, your parents are going to have to lift themselves off the floor. They're going to fall over and be in shock when they hear you ask this question. And you keep asking it, and you may just be in control of the whole family. And here's another one. If you guys ask this question in front of their friends, wow. You know, like when they're having a dinner party, you know, they're all together and they're, they're sitting there, all the parents are together. Listen, you walk in the room and you say in front of their friends, what can I do to help? You know what they're going to say? They're going to say, you're good, go ahead. Go ahead and leave. And when you walk out of the room, the other parents are going to say, teach us. Teach us. Teach us about parenting. What have you done? How have you done this? And then your parents will reward you later. But parents, parents, it's not just the kids. Parents, ask this question often. You know what this, this does, this question does in a parenting dynamic? Is at certain stages as a parent, we're always correcting. We're correcting and correcting and correcting. We're always looking. Everything is a teachable moment. And it's my responsibility to prepare my children for the future. And so I've got to be after them and after them. If you're a child, that's very frustrating. How about a timeout? Ask this question. Johnny, Joey, what can I do to help? Amen. You know, you get home from work, go into the room, they're doing their thing, they're in their home. Hey, is there anything I can do to help? Can I help you? You know what this question does for your relationship with your children? It keeps you from going negative. It will stop the negativity in your family. Parent, child, adversarial relationship. If you just ask this question, what can I do to help? It takes the edge off. Because then they realize, what? You're in this for me. And then the kids, the parents realize you're in this for them. So this is a huge question. What can I do to help? Now, two groups of people this is very hard for. Kids, but also men. Men, you don't like to ask this question. Right? Go ahead and admit it. Because we're men. Right? And we're in control. And we're the ones in charge. And I'm always helping. I live to help. I work. I, I work and I work. You mean I got to do more than that? I'm the provider. I get you. I, I feel you. But here's the thing. Why are you so afraid to ask this question? Before you leave for work, as you're walking out the door, Honey, is there anything I can do to help you today? When you get home from a long day's work, ask the question, what can I do to help? This will change everything. But let, let's deal with 
this thing, this this question, what can I do to help is the bridge to mutual submission at home. It's what will connect everything. It's what will build a happy, healthy culture in the home. What's the barrier? What is it? It's fear. What are you afraid of with this question? Someone's going to take advantage of me. Right? I'm not going to ask him because it's never going to stop. I'm not going to ask them because they're, they're going to be working me like a slave around the house. I won't be able to play video games. I won't have any time for my friends. I won't be able to do anything. I'll be like a slave. They'll take advantage of me. And, and for the husbands, I'm already doing enough, we think. And I don't want to be, you know, my wife's puppet where she's always telling me what to do. So we're afraid. But let's deal with the fear. What's the worst thing that can happen by you asking this question? You're going to have to, you know, serve a little, give a little time, maybe a little money, maybe some late nights. But that's it. That's it. And here's the, here's the key to this. Who should we focus on? Should I submit to you because you're worthy of it? No. Because you know, you and I, I'm not worthy of it. You're not worthy of it. But who's worthy of it in the family dynamic? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Focused on Him. Do it for Him. He's worthy of it. You weren't worthy of it, but He did it for you. Right? If we have that mentality, everything changes. And I want you to imagine the conversation between God and Jesus, as God looked down on this planet and saw a hurting world with so, much, with so much so much pain, so much hurt, so much tragedy, people were far from God, they were, they, were, they were messing up their lives, and Jesus walks up to God, knowing He's hurting, and says, what can I do to help? And God replies, you don't want to know. Yeah, I do want to know. What can I do to help? You're going to have to die for everybody. You're going to have to sacrifice yourself for them. In fact, you're going to have to get up under their burdens. You're going to have to become their servant. You're going to have to become their slave. And they're going to abuse you. They're going to mistreat you. They're going to beat you. They're going to insult you. And then they're going to kill you. I'm willing to do that. That's the conversation between God and Jesus, His Son. So is this really that hard for you and me to get up under members of our family and serve them and carry their burdens What's your greatest burden that you have in your life? It is the burden of sin and separation from God. It is the burden of your condemnation that without Jesus' forgiveness and His blood, 
you have no hope. The burden of guilt. The way that you've blown it. And for many of us, it's too late. It's too late to do it over again. It's too late to start over again as a family because you've already made enough mistakes. What's your greatest burden? The pain of knowing you can't change what's already happened. And Jesus comes along and says, I'll take that. I'll take that guilt. I'll take that burden. And I'll give you a new start. Look at this verse. This is the description of what Jesus went through. In your relationships with one another, family, friends, people around you, community, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, at the same level as God, did not concern Consider equality with God something to be used as to his own advantage. He was a leader. He was the son of God. He was the Messiah. He didn't take advantage of that. But rather, this is what he did. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And became obedient to death, even death on a cross. 99.9% of us will never have to go through this for our family. You'll never have to die for your children. You'll never have to die for your wife or for your husband. What are you going to have to go through for them? A little inconvenience? A little time, a little money, a little frustration. That's it. When Jesus went through so much for you, and we're willing to do so little for our mom, for our dad. And I'm not just talking to some of us are grown adults. And you know how you grow up. You grew up. You know how you treated your parents when you were little, when you were young. Wouldn't it be a nice Thanksgiving homecoming to go home and serve them and treat them like Jesus treats you and carry their burden and help them with their situation? This is the secret. And this is what Paul came to the conclusion. What Jesus taught in in his church, how can we apply this to family? How does this apply to family? It's exactly the same. Submit to one another. And it changes everything. The thing this question threatens is the key to having a great family. Whatever it threatens in your life, it's the key. And if we refuse to ask this question, we deny the opportunity to reach the level that Jesus dreamed for us. You know what you're like? You're like Dorothy. In the Wizard of Oz, who said over and over, I just want to go home. I just want to go home. I just want to go home. And, and the, the, the good witch said, you've got the way to get home right there on your feet. You possess the power to build your family. 
You have the power to rebuild your marriage. They're right on your feet. If you'll just humble out and ask the question, what can I do to help? How can I serve my family? You have that opportunity today. And this whole idea, happiness, I just want to be happy. You think that happiness is equated with everybody in your family doing what you want them to do, right? Right? If mom will just do and dad will just do what I want, it's all good. I got news for you. You won't be happy. Husbands, men, you think you're going to have a good family if your wife does exactly what you want all the time. And if your kids, if everybody will just get in line and line up and you can dictate and you can be in control, you think you're going to be happy. I promise you, you will never be happy in that situation. You will be in control. You will be the most important person in the family, but you will not be happy. You will be miserable. Because happiness does not come from getting everyone to do what you want. Happiness in family is found in mutual submission. They've done studies on this. Who are the happiest people in this planet, on this planet? The ones that have everything? The ones in control? The ones that are trying to control everyone else? No, they're miserable. The ones that are happy are the ones that are out serving, volunteering, elevating others who are in need because they have a sense of purpose, a sense of fulfillment. Imagine that in the family dynamic. What a difference it can make. It's a game changer for you this holiday season. This is what the question, the question forces us to lean in versus pull away. And I got to say it again to the men. Your wife has been wanting you to lean in for the longest time. And you keep pulling back. Your kids, it's almost as if the whole family is orbiting around you and your needs and your situation hoping that they can make you happy. And so your wife, your children, they lean and they lean and they lean and they lean in and they lean in and they lean in until they fall over. And then you ask the question, what's wrong? When are you going to lean in to your family, to your marriage, and ask the simple question, what can I do to help? In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, and then we'll wrap it up. For while we were still helpless, you couldn't help yourself. You couldn't get up. You, you were not in control. You could, change, you could not change your situation at the right time. Christ died for the ungodly. What time did Jesus die? When you needed him. Not when he wanted to. Imagine this. Oh, you need me to die for you? Sorry, I'm busy. 
I got too much going on. I'm, I'm working. I'm running the creation. When did Jesus die for you? When you needed him. When you were running around for years, like I did, saying, I'll get to it later. When I graduate from college, when I get married, I'll turn myself in. I'll give my life to God. And now all that time has passed and you still haven't given your life to God. Jesus is ready to die for you now if it's the right time. I mean, that's incredible humility. That's incredible willingness to serve you at your time of helplessness, at your time of need. He's taken a knee for you, dying for you. And who's the ungodly? Me, you, all those people, go to church, don't live the life, put on facades, don't do the right thing. They put off God. They're not sure if they believe in God. They make excuses. They postpone people like you and me. That's the ungodly. Verse 7. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps... For a good man, someone might dare to even to die. But God demonstrates His own love towards us that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for you and me. And right now we're going to celebrate the communion. But you know why we celebrate the communion? So we can remember. So we can remember what Jesus did for us. And we can leave here today deciding, this is what I'm going to do for my family. This is what I'm going to do for my wife. This is what I'm going to do for my husband. This is what I'm going to do for my crazy, haven't had an original thought since 1981 parents. You missed that. But that's what a lot of young people think. The parents are idiots. They think archaic caveman thoughts. You know what Jesus knows about you? But you don't have your head on straight either. You're a mess. You think you know everything? You don't know that much. All of us are in that category. He died for us. He bled for us. He was insulted for us. He became the servant of servants for us. And we're not willing to do that for our family, the people that we, quote, love. And next week we're going to look at this whole dynamic of why there are fights among us that every lesson ties into the other one. I hope you'll come back. But I hope you can see that Jesus holds the key for you having a happy, healthy family. And this world is dying because it doesn't have any idea what will make family work. And Jesus has the answers. And so the last thing I want to say is, With the question, the power question, when you want to ask it the least, you need to ask it the most. 
Okay, so as we finish, one more time, all together, the power question. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Can I do the help? One more time. One, two, three. What can I do to help? Don't repeat it too loud because this question, this question could change everything in your family. And if you're visiting here with us today, I suggest you wait a couple days, maybe wait a week, because then people are going to think it's because you went to church and then they're going to connect the dots with the church. And you don't want to do that. Just wait a little while and then then start asking it because you can do it for free. It's not going to you know, you don't have to buy into the Jesus, J-U-S-E-S. You don't have to you don't have to buy into that. You, You don't have to buy into the Bible. Just just do this one thing and watch what it will do to your family dynamic. You will see. Let's pray for the communion.